Hello and welcome to the Refreshed Podcast, where we aim to take a deeper dive into our faith and extend the conversation beyond Sunday morning. I'm your host, Jared Cunningham. Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 9 says, Who can believe what we have heard? And for whose sake has the Lord's arm been revealed? He grew up like a young plant before us, like a root from dirty ground. He possessed no splendid form for us to see, no desirable appearance. He was despised and avoided by others, a man who suffered, who knew sickness well. Like someone from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we didn't think about him. It was certainly our sickness that he carried, and our sufferings that he bore, but we thought him afflicted, struck down by God and tormented. He was pierced because of our rebellions and crushed because of our crimes. He bore the punishment that made us whole. By his wounds, we are healed. Like sheep, we had all wandered away, each going its own way. But the Lord let fall on him all our crimes. He was oppressed and tormented, but didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb being brought to slaughter, like a ewe silent before her shearers, he didn't open his mouth. Due to an unjust ruling, he was taken away, and his fate Who will think about it? He was eliminated from the land of the living, struck dead because of my people's rebellion. His grave was among the wicked, his tomb with evildoers, though he had done no violence and had spoken nothing false. The message of Isaiah is not difficult to describe. Isaiah himself prophesied about the impending invasions by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and the exile of the Israelites and Judeans from the Promised Land, more than a hundred years before they happened. The book of Isaiah breaks down into two elements, judgment and hope. Unless the kingdoms change their ways, God will wipe out the kingdoms of Israel and Judah for their failure to remain faithful to their covenant with God. Nevertheless, there is hope that one day, through a coming Messiah, all would be reconciled. The book is also split into two parts, with chapters 1 through 39 being written before the Assyrian invasion in 721 BC, and chapters 40 through 66 being written after the Israelites are allowed to return home by the Persians in 538 BC. Chapters 40 through 66 announced that there will be hope after the exile, that a suffering servant king would come, be rejected, and be put to death but his death would open the door for a new Jerusalem, a new family of God. The numerous poems and songs of Isaiah relay their messages of judgment and hope throughout the book. The songs in chapters 40 through 66 tell of the suffering and the condemnation the Messiah will go through. There are countless modern songs that talk about the pain that Jesus went through on the cross. In fact, the last three episodes have tackled the subject of Jesus' crucifixion. But how many delve deeper into what Christ did for us on that cross and our relation to it? How many capture the true injustice faced by Christ? None of the hymns we've talked about in this series go as deep into the true nature of the suffering servant and strikes a chord that sums up the book of Isaiah in less than three minutes than today's hymn, Hallelujah, What a Savior, also known as Man of Sorrows, written by Philip Paul Bliss. Born in 1836, Bliss grew up in the evangelical revival moment of the 1800s. 
Developing an interest in music, Bliss received training from William Bradbury, who we mentioned in episode one and was the writer of hymns like Just As I Am and Sweet Hour of Prayer. Bliss, too, became a music teacher, which led to him becoming a staff composer and editor for various music collections of the time. At some point, Philip Bliss and his wife met evangelist Dwight L. Moody and joined his singing team. During his time with Moody, Bliss published multiple music collections and wrote over 200 hymn texts and tunes. Outside of inspiration coming from Isaiah 53, not much is known about what prompted Philip Bliss to write Hallelujah, What a Savior. A close associate of both Bliss and Dwight L. Moody, and a hymn writer in his own right, Ira D. Sankey had the following to say about Hallelujah, What a Savior. This was the last hymn I heard Mr. Bliss sing. It was at a meeting in the Farewell Hall in Chicago conducted by the English evangelist Henry Morehouse. A few weeks before his death, Mr. Bliss visited the state prison at Jackson, Michigan, where after a very touching address on the Man of Sorrows, he sang this hymn with great effect. Many of the prisoners dated their conversion from that day. He goes on to say, when Mr. Moody and I were in Paris, holding meetings in the old church which Napoleon had granted to the evangelicals, I frequently sang this hymn as a solo, asking the congregation to join in the simple phrase, Hallelujah, what a Savior, which they did with splendid effect. It is said that the word Hallelujah is the same in all languages. It seems as though God had prepared it for the great jubilee of heaven when all his children shall have been gathered to sing hallelujah to the Lamb. A powerful hymn indeed. Published in 1875, compared to Bliss's other hymns, Hallelujah, What a Savior is very different. It's more melancholy, and there are less musical chord changes than in his other hymns, especially compared to the music he wrote for It Is Well With My Soul. Hallelujah, What a Savior has five verses with the last line in each verse being used as the refrain. Verse 1 introduces us to Jesus using a different name than what we are used to, acknowledging man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Verse 1 also tells us why Jesus came to earth, for us, the ruined sinners to reclaim. Verse 2 takes us a step further into the trials and ridicule that Jesus went through the night of and morning after his arrest. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. While verse 3 draws us into the picture, showing our sinfulness in relation to Jesus' innocence, saying, guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Verse 4 shows us Jesus on the cross and his final words, but it also reassures that his death was not permanent. Lifted up was he to die, it is finished was his cry but now in heaven exalted high. Verse 5 brings it all home with Christ's return, where all will be made anew. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransom home to bring, then anew this song will sing. Each verse ends with the line, Hallelujah, what a savior, offering a combination of hope, praise, and recognition that so rightly describes what Christ has done and will do for us. When translated, the word hallelujah translates the same in all languages and holds its original Hebrew meaning, praise the Lord. 
Throughout the book of Isaiah, there are songs praising God that amidst his judgment, there is also hope for us. Urging that we too should praise the Lord because the horrendous torment that Jesus endured was not only the fulfillment of the countless prophecies given centuries before, but a symbol of the love that God has for us. Through Jesus, we were given redemption and ushered into a family we could have never imagined. Allowing us to have a joy similar to the happiness expressed in Isaiah 61 verses 10 through 11. I surely rejoice in the Lord. My heart is joyful because of my God, because he has clothed me with clothes of victory, wrapped me in a robe of righteousness, like a bridegroom in a priestly crown, and like a bride adorned in jewelry. As the earth puts on its growth, and as a garden grows its seed, so the Lord God will grow righteousness and praise before all nations. Mm-hmm.